0: Lord, now may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About seven or eight weeks ago, when we knew that we were going to have a new pastor and the new pastor was ready to come on the 18th, I debated whether I would preach individual messages or one series, and I elected to do one full series. And as uh, I would say luck, because we know there's no such thing as luck. Right, John? You've learned that. Uh, It's kind of a God thing. It turns out that there were six messages and it ends up today. And so today we're ending what I would call a six week seminar on leadership. And I want to remind all of us again, when I'm talking about leaders, I'm not talking about pastors or directors of Christian education or directors of worship. I'm talking about any one of you, wherever you happen to be planted, where you have some influence or capable of influencing someone for Jesus. Now, I want to give you just kind of a little bit of a, a refresher if you've not been here. But in week number one, we talked about how leaders rise to the occasion. They do what needs to be done. In week two, we looked, about, looked at how the leader is a servant. They serve other people. They serve the situation at hand. They, they serve the big picture. In week three, we talked about how the leader builds up other people by encouraging them and exhorting them and by leading by example, being a godly example to other people. In week four, we talked about how leaders are accountable. They're accountable to the biblical standard. I mean, that's our rule book. Uh, We are accountable to the people that God has placed in our lives, our spouses, our kids, the people we work for, work with. But ultimately, we're also accountable to ourselves. Then we looked at how leaders are decisive. We said that leaders learn how to ask the right questions. And they ask the right people, but they listen to their head and not to their emotions. And they don't put off making decisions, and then they follow through once they've made that decision. And last week, we talked about how the leader is tenacious. Tenacious. The leader doesn't look back, the leader doesn't give up, the leader doesn't sell out, the leader finishes the race. And so today we come to the very last message, which is, the leader is overflowing. Now, it's quite by accident, again, I'll say it's a a God incidence that I would end up with this message. I say It's kind of the best one of the bunch, because I think this is job one for any Christian who finds themselves in a leadership position, And that is that uh, the leader is overflowing. In other words, leaders must keep a full tank. Now, I watched somebody not long ago filling up their gas tank, and they were holding that thing, and the gas came squirting out all over their hands and everything. I mean, the tank was full to overflowing. See, it's it's each leader's responsibility If it's in the church, it's from the pastor all the way down to the youngest person. If it's in your business, it's from your CEO all the way down to the lowest person on the totem pole to make sure that your tank is full on a daily basis. It's not just something that you do uh, one week out of the year. It's not just something you do one hour every Sunday wherever you go to church. It's not something you do on your occasional day off or uh, during vacation time. It's a daily process of making sure that your spiritual tank is completely full and that you're not running on reserve. Now, how many of you have ever been going down the road and that little light kind of clicks on your dashboard that shows you got about one tank or one gallon left? You ever had that happen? I've had that happen once or twice. Uh, There's a little panic that comes over because you're quickly trying to figure out, Well, let's see, how many miles a gallon am I getting on this? How far to the next gas station am I going to make it or not? No one likes to live like that. So it's as simple as this. If you don't fill your tank each and every day, you are endangering yourself as a leader. You endanger yourself as a parent. You endanger yourself as a teacher. You endanger yourself whatever position you find. And so today I want to talk about some things that leaders need to do in order to keep their tank Full spiritually. And here's the very first thing, and that's to make sure you spend the right amount of time alone. You know, a lot of times we don't like to spend time alone. In fact, if you are a, an, an extrovert, it'll almost kill you to be by yourself. Now, for those of us who are kind of introverted, it's just a little easier. And when I say alone, I really mean alone. I mean completely offline. I mean, you got your cell phone turned off. You don't have the TV on, you don't have the radio on, no iPod, no iPad, no headphones, no stereo, just you. All alone, you in a book, you in the Bible, you in God. Now, some people say, well, how can I possibly do that? I'm surrounded by whatever. I always remember Susanna Wesley, the wife of John Wesley, who had 17 or 18 kids. And she had her own time, she would put her chair in the middle of the kitchen and pull her apron over her head. And that was the sign for those little worm burners she had in the house. Mama's with Jesus. And everybody kept quiet. I don't know what it's going to take for you to be all alone. Now, I'm not just talking about your daily devotional time, even though that's certainly part of it. I'm just talking about spending some time alone each day, undistracted, undisturbed, giving yourself a chance to decompress and recharge. Now, there's a couple of Bible passages that kind of stick in my mind when I think about it. From Psalm 131, I have stilled and quieted my soul. Or in Psalm 4610, many of you know, be still and know that I am God. See, in the midst of our hectic lifestyle, we can learn to make time alone and make the most of our time. A number of years ago, I read a book by Viktor Frankl. And Victor Frankl wrote the book. It was called Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, I don't know if you know who he is, but he spent many years in a Nazi concentration camp. And he said that that kind of enforced community of this type of prison caused prisoners just to to crave solitude. And I've heard this from guys in in Angola prison who just say, man, the one thing I'd like more than anything else is just to actually just get alone all by myself sometimes. It's always with other people. And he wanted to be alone with his thoughts and experience a kind of a moment of privacy. Now, he worked in a camp hospital in very cramped conditions, so there's always people around. But he noticed one day out the window there was a small tent that was between a couple of trees. And that small tent was where they kept the dead bodies until somebody got a chance to bury them. And what he found was he was able to go out there when he took a body outside and stay in that shelter with those dead corpses. And he would sit for a moment and he would look out the end of that tent and he could see the flowering hillside and the distant blue hills of the Bavarian Alps. And in this book he writes, quote, only the steps of the passing guards could rouse me from my dreams. These moments of silence and solitude kept me centered and in a very real way, kept me sane. Now, Stephen King, anybody know who Stephen King is? (laughs) He wrote a book called On Writing. I I don't recommend it to anybody. But uh, when he writes, he writes, he listens to heavy metal music at full volume. And that doesn't surprise me, Uh because his books are, to say, the least a little brain-rattling. And they're definitely written... Uh, they sound like written by a guy who's going mad listening to heavy metal music. Now, I like music. It's, it's been a part of my entire life. And I like it loud. And there are certain jobs I do. I want to crank it up to 11 or 12. That's my, why my wife says, the one thing she hears from me more than anything else is, what? <laughs> but every single day, I make an effort to spend time in solitude and silence. And you know where one of my favorite places is? Right here. I can come in the morning and I will come and I will sit in here. It's quiet. Nobody around. And I can just sit. I don't have to sing a song. I don't have to pray a prayer, although I generally find myself doing so. But I did it yesterday again. And I did something that I often do in silence and I started all the way up here and I prayed over every last single chair and every spot in the pew as I walked all the way through this church. Now I knew where some of you would be sitting today. I couldn't remember who the acolyte was but I said whoever's lighting the fire today bless them. I knew where Gwenny was going to sit. I knew where the guys and the boys in the band were going to sit. I know John and Roberto always sit there and you know I can always count on Jimmy Kunkel sitting over there and you know, I, I know where Mark Eastman sits. You know, some of the guys are creatures of habit. You know, I can always tell where Miss Helen sits because she always flashes the horns at me. And uh, just make sure she knows, she, I know she's here. Um, but solitude, solitude every single day. Maybe you know this guy, I think i got his picture up here, Warren Buffett. No, I don't. Okay, I just got pictures out this week. Okay, go back. But Warren Buffett said, I insist on a lot of time being spent almost every day just to sit and think. This is very uncommon in American business. I read and think, so I do more reading and thinking and make less impulse decisions than most people in business. I do it because I like this kind of life. I think if one of the world's busiest, wealthiest, most influential men can take time out each day to simply do nothing, to be still and know that God is God, That's helpful. But here's the second thing. Make sure you spend time with the right people. You want to spend time alone, but you also want to make sure you spend time with the right people. In week one, I talked about the difference between fire lighters and firefighters. Fire lighters go out of their way to keep your fire hot. They know how to stoke the coals of your life. They know how to pick you up when you're down. They know how to pour gas on your flickering little flame. But you've also got a lot of firefighters who go out of their way to throw cold water on you every chance they get. I sometimes call them joy suckers. These are people who can suck the joy out of a, another Christian at 100 yards. You see them coming, and say, But what happened to me? All oh, of the joy has been sucked out of me. Know anybody like that? Do you know firefighters? Do you know fire lighters? See, I'm, I'm encouraged to be a firelighter in people's lives, and today I just want to encourage you uh, to seek fellowship as much as possible with as many firelighters as you can find. Now, firefighters are not hard to find. I mean, they're a dime a dozen. But the world is full of joy suckers. Uh, you know, that's why you need to make it a point to find out people who will fan the flame of your enthusiasm. Now, I don't want to get real personal, but I am anyway. There's two guys, I see them sitting here, that I generally spend time with every week. Have for a long time, Jason and John. Burgers and coffee. What a combination. One of the things that uh, I think we, we do for each other is to encourage one another. And to be a fire lighter. And hopefully that we've never been firefighters, where we attempted to douse the flame in each, other, in each other's lives. Do you have people that periodically say to you, "I really needed that conversation today. I really needed that encouragement." If so, then you've been a fire lighter. That's why I often tell people: seek out people with spiritual maturity. Find people with spiritual maturity who speak encouragement into your life. And get with those kind of people on a regular basis. I know my son and his wife have a small group. Home team. How long have you been a part of that home team? Ten years? Okay, Ten years. Fire lighters or firefighters? Fire lighters. You almost can't get them to skip that for any reason. I can't even begin to think of a reason that I could ever convince Eric and Cheryl to not be with that group of people. Yeah, they're going on their anniversary this coming week. They'll celebrate their anniversary day. Who cares about the anniversary? They've got to be with the firelighters. I mean, what a great and wonderful thing. You see, when you're with people like that, you're never running on empty or running on fumes. You know, the book of Proverbs is just loaded with all kinds of stuff about it. One of my favorites is, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And you notice know what happens when iron sharpens iron? Sparks fly sometimes, too. And that's okay. But you encourage one another. Proverbs 12, a righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads him astray. See, Solomon says that we just plain and simple need to be selective with who we hang out with. Now, all of us come into contact with a whole bunch of people every day in our place of business. And we relate to them on all sorts of different levels. But we need to be choosy about who we spend quality time with. And we need to be very choosy about who we allow into our inner circle. Choose people who know how to build you up spiritually. Choose people who will help fan that flame of faith. Paul said in his last letter to his young friend Timothy, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I have a general feeling that whenever Paul and Timothy got together, it was a lot of fun. All the known Colbs are together today. Do you know that? Well, plus one. Soon to be a Colb. She'll learn. <laughs> now we love her already. But some of my favorite times in life are when we're all together. Always a fun time. Very few times that I ever recall that we've not had fun together. It's always fire lighting time, isn't it, Josh? Very, very seldom, if ever, is it firefighting. I'm going to tell you why. It's not because cults are any more special than anybody else. But there's faith in the hearts of these people. Good people to hang around with. But you know other people like that in your life as well. Paul, all I'm telling you. Spend time with the right people, godly people, who will give you godly advice. Here's the third thing. Make sure you spend time doing the right things. I'll tell you, nothing sucks the life out of me more than doing things that just don't matter. Uh, it's a waste of time. It leads to an empty tank. But I want to make a, a, a distinction here. Uh, some projects you're involved with may not yet be yielding the results that you, you really hope for. You put in a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money, and you're, at this point you're getting very little in return. But sometimes those are still good projects. And even though you're not yet inundated with a lot of money or success, each one of those can be a good investment. But on the other hand, we sometimes get in the habit of building things into our schedule that ultimately lead to nowhere. And there are times in my life when I kind of step back and I say to myself, does this really make any difference at all? Is this enhancing my spiritual life? Is this helping extend God's kingdom? Will anybody notice if I do this or not? And you spend too many hours doing that, and you're going to find yourself with an empty tank. See, something I've noticed in my creeping up on 50 years of uh, being in the ministry... What I've learned about effective leaders is that often they tend to move with a purpose. You can see it when they walk in a room. You can tell when he or she begins to speak. They have a purpose, vision, mission, passion, I guess, if you'd like, because they know that everything they do matters. And if it doesn't matter, guess what? They don't generally spend too much time working on it in their schedule. Stephen Covey said something I read a number of years ago. He said, the key, is not to pri- the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. I mean, what is the most important thing for you to do each and every day? Make sure that's locked in your schedule. I went to a conference one time where they said you should take your day stuff and then put an A by things that are really absolutely positive that you got to do today. B is stuff you, you really should do if you get done with a A and see, is stuff you can put off till tomorrow. And the person I was sitting next to wrote down about 12 things, they had them all marked A. And I thought, man, that guy's in deep weeds. I got about two A's every day. That's all I can handle. It's just so I'm getting old. Um, Billy Graham. Uh, if you want to read a good biography t- sometime, read Billy Graham. It's called Just As I Am. And in that book, he tells a story uh, about uh, what really matters in life. He was visiting an island down in the Caribbean, and uh, one of the wealthiest men in the world invited him to his house for lunch. And through the entire meal, this, this man was just virtually in tears, and finally said to Billy, I'm the most miserable man in this entire world. I'm out, here, out there with my yacht. I've got private jets. I've got helicopters. I have everything to make my life happy. Yet I'm as miserable as I can be. Now, this man had spent 75 years of his life accumulating wealth and had actually little, if anything, of value to show for it. But later that afternoon, Dr. Graham and his wife went and spent time with the pastor of a local Baptist church. I'm sorry, it wasn't a Lutheran church, it was a Baptist church. He, too, was in his mid-70s. But his life seemed to be very full of purpose and meaning he was laughing and smiling the whole time he served a very small church he spent much of his time taking care of his two invalid sisters he was about as poor as could possibly be and he told Billy Graham I am the happiest man on this island now in his book Graham wrote at the end of that story who do you think is the richer man well of course the answer is pretty obvious now there's nothing wrong with making money Josh, I hope you make tons of it to support grandma and grandpa in our old age. But it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with making it. Just use it wisely on us. But if at the end of your life all you've got to show is a big fat bank account, I guarantee you something, you'll be miserable. Jesus said, What good is it for man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? He also said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The effective leaders spend their time seeking first what really matters. See, when you're engaged in things of eternal significance, you may feel tired from time to time, but you will never feel discouraged. In mid-September, we'll be headed down to Angola prison again for five days of teaching. And those are long days, I gotta tell you. When you get up at 6:30 in the morning and you teach them about eight or nine o'clock in the morning and You're preaching sometimes until 9 o'clock at night. Those get to be very long days, and I'm really tired, but I am never discouraged. You don't have to live a spiritually depleted life. You don't have to live in a constant state of feeling that you've got nothing to give. You can always live an overflowing life. And guess what? When you have an overflowing life, it, it flows over what? It flows over everybody who's around you. They know. I've told a story about my daughter who just her smiley demeanor at a workplace and what it ultimately led to with the baptism of some people. See what happens? Hoi-sum. Smiley face. That's her Chinese name, I think. ko sum It overflows on other people. One of Jesus' most famous statements says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it, what? Abundantly. So we all find ourselves running on empty from time to time, but there's always a way to fill up. And Again, I just say, you spend time alone. Alone with your thoughts, just alone in the presence of God. You know, a lot of people say they never hear God speak, but that's because you're around so many people who are making so much noise all the time. Spend time alone, and you'll hear him talk. Spend time with the right people, with godly people. Fire lighters who can fan the flame of your spiritual enthusiasm spend time doing the right things don't just prioritize your schedule or make sure you schedule your priorities and spend your days doing things that really matter the prophet isaiah says those who hope in the lord will renew their strength they will soar like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not be faint now how's that possible very simple it says because their hope is in god He's the center of their goals. He's the center of their plans. He's the center of their dreams. It comes down to this. The leader's life, and that's every last one of you here today, is overflowing with the presence of God. When God is in your life, it's the Lord who makes it possible for you to fly like an eagle and on occasion to run like a young boy. I was a little bit worried the other day just because my back really hurts and my voice sounds really crummy. But you know something? I had no doubt that I'd be able to be here today and do what I normally do. Why? Because I'm superhuman? No. Gosh, if it was up to me, I'd probably be laying at home. <laughs> but God, my hope is in the Lord. See, that's the life a leader needs to live, a life empowered by God's Spirit, fueled by time spent with Him in solitude, time spent with godly people in fellowship, and time spent seeking First, the kingdom of God above all else. I guess I should end by just saying one more time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion. If you remember nothing else from five and a half years, I would hope you would remember that little phrase. To see the vision, to see what God has done for you in the past. I and mean, this church has got 95 years of history, friends. You and I today stand on the shoulders of all those people who went before us. People like Clara Patterson. People who have gone on before. Herb Larson. Lynn Lowe. Any number of other people we could say. We stand on their shoulders. Don't forget the past. We don't want to live in the past because God's got something for us in the future. Look at what God's doing today. I mean, I'm excited for you. I've I, I prayed all along that Nancy and I would not walk away here and leave you with a vacancy. And God has seen fit to have a pastor who we might just pass on I-30. <laughs> we move out, He moves in. But also I have a vision of the future. Um, God's going to do great things with this church. We've got great people in this church. Uh, Wonderful people. Um, Nancy and I, when we decided to come here five and a half years ago, said that one of the things that we really wanted to do was preach the Word, teach the Word, just love people. And hopefully uh, you have been taught along the way, you've grown in your love for the Lord and in your knowledge of Jesus through Bible studies or whatever. And I hope and pray that you all feel that you've been loved, because we certainly have felt that way ourselves. So see the vision, past, present, and future. And then live the mission. I mean, live it out. I mean, it says go and make disciples. Make sure you stay under somebody else where you can be disciples so that you can create a, a better future. And they always say God has no grandchildren. That just means the church is about one generation from extinction all the time. There needs to be more people who step forward. You live out that mission. And then the field of passion. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do not being the pastor of a church other than cartwheels. (laughs) Uh, Because I'm not retiring from the ministry. And the passion is still there. And the passion is exactly what Jesus talks about. And that is to be a kingdom builder. And guess what? You don't need to be a pastor to be a kingdom builder. You can be a bank president, Dennis. You can be a kingdom builder. You don't have to deal with steel ropes, Kevin. You can be a kingdom builder. Josh, you can finance Mercedes till the cows come home, but you have an opportunity to be a kingdom builder. Joe, you can be a kingdom builder. you got a small kingdom with you this morning, I see, too. We can all be that wherever, wherever God chooses to plant us. Just to be passionate about what God has done in us, to us, through us, and for us. And um, I'm going to let Eric kind of wrap up the way I feel, maybe the way Nancy feels. It's kind of a song that has become very important in um, our family's life. It's called Find Us Faithful.